So today we're kicking off a new series we're entitling Heroes. And, uh, and since we're, it's obviously Heroes from the Bible, um, I came across this app. This is just how easily gullible I am. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I, I found this app and it said, it will paint any picture you want. You just jot down some words, just any words. They can be related or totally unrelated. And using AI, it will create a bespoke picture of what you wrote down. And I did some wild things, and then I was like, you know what? We're doing this series on, on heroes from the Bible. I'm going to put in Bible and heroes and see what it paints for me. And this is the picture it created right here. It's like super Jesus or something. I was like, hmm. So uh, we're, we're going to be focusing more on Old Testament stories. This was a, a, some, some sort of thing that a, a, a computer came up with when I put in Bible heroes. But we're looking at the Old Testament especially to, to look at heroes in Scripture. And, and uh, so... Um, we're going to be looking, actually I'm going back, you remember we went through the series on Moses not long ago, and we're going to kind of be doing a little bit of a follow-up to that. Um, so you recall, Moses has taken Israel, and we ended where the law was handed down to Moses. And uh, they were at, at, at Mount Sinai right there. And just a, a few weeks later, they ended up on the cusp of going into the promised land, the place that God had told them they would get to go. And they're standing right on the border, ready to literally step through into the promise of God. And so in Numbers 13, Moses starts it off by sending out a party to spy it out because they literally had no idea what laid before them. As you see the questions he asks them to, to, to kind of find out about, you realize just how little they know about where they're going. He says, I want you to go out and scout out the land. I want you to see how populated it is. I want you to take, you're not quite there yet. I want you to take soil samples. I want you to see if the cities are fortified. Um, see if people are like living in tents or if there's walls around the cities. Um, bring us some of the food they're growing because um, we're all kind of sick of the manna and the quail, to be honest. So let's see if they've got something else going there. And, uh, and so he sends this group of spies, these 12 select men from representing each tribe into <clears throat> the promised land. So they go into the promised land, they spy it out. There's some great stories that happen while they're doing that. But then um, they, they, they come back um, and, and on their way back, they, they gather all these fruits. And in, in uh, Numbers 13, it says in verse 23, when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. And two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That is a big cluster of grapes. If it takes two people carrying them on a pole between you. If my wife sends me to the store and is like, get just a single cluster of grapes. I would love to just walk in and be like, got your cluster of grapes right here. Where do you want them? Which fridge? Um, they, They come back and there's just like, it is, it is... It is incredible. They've got these pomegranates, these figs, all this fruit. And the news is that God's promise was real. Do you remember when Moses told them, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey, which to quote VeggieTales, they say sounds sticky. Um, He's taken to this land where where it's just like, it's incredible. And they're finding out what God said is actually true. This isn't just like fairy tales. It wasn't stories of old, of yore, or maybe like old wives tales that were told to boost morale, you know, oh, where we're going, it's going to be great. But they find out it really is everything God told us. And, And so they tell this report to Moses in verse 27. So they give Moses this account. They said, we went into the land in which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But... The people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they give this report. They say, yes, 
Look at this fruit. This is fantastic. We went around and sampled it all. It was like a giant Costco. It was amazing. But there's giants that live there. And there's fortified cities. And, and there's all these people groups that are mighty that live around there. And so the report that they give to Moses is actually not wrong. It's not incorrect. It's not inaccurate. But it's a report that's accentuated by fear. It's a report that says, um, that, that says, there's big danger ahead and we are really, really concerned. What you said is true, but there's fear that really uh, kind of t- typifies this, this re- account that they're given. So, so yet there was one in their number that was named Caleb. And this is our hero we're talking about today that reported a different message. He responds in the very next verse. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. So you can imagine this millions of people and there's a murmur that starts to go around. You know, hearing about this, this mass of people that live there, these fortified cities. And so Caleb silences the people before Moses and says, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Now, Caleb saw the same thing the other spies saw, the other ten spies. Caleb and Joshua saw the exact same. They weren't on a different trip. They didn't go on a different vacation or anything like that. They saw everything exactly as the other ten spies saw. But the, and the spies' report was not wrong and that tremendous obstacles did lay ahead of them. But Joshua and Caleb's response was different because it was based out of faith in what God had already promised. See, Caleb said, I know what God has already told us. We've been traveling through this desert with God's promise. And if he told us what lies on the other side of this river is ours, it's ours. If God said, take possession of the land, then we can do it. If God said it, we can do it. And so while all the spies saw the same thing, 10 of them saw the problem while Caleb was the one that saw the solution. 10 of them, how many of us know that there's some people that can find a problem for every solution you have? They saw all the problems. They saw all the issues that lay ahead. And they said, this is impossible. This is something we can't tackle. It's something we can't do. But Caleb saw the solution because our posture will define our perspective. Caleb had a posture of faith. Caleb had a posture of faith. So when he looked ahead, his perspective was what of what was promised and what was possible. See, a posture of faith sees the promise. A posture of faith sees what God has told us. A posture of doubt will see defeat even before the battle has begun. Do you hear me on that? A posture of defeat defeat tells us this, this is a helpless situation. This is a battle we can't win even before the battle has begun. But while doubt perceives themselves as victims, postures of faith sees the victory ahead. Look at what Caleb implores in the next chapter in verse 9. He's imploring the people. He says, don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. 
Now, what he says here, they have no protection. He's not talking about the physical walls. We know Jericho lies ahead. It has very big walls. There is physical protection around them. But what's the next line he says? They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. He's talking about whose God can stand up against our God. Who could compare to him? They have nothing. They are like prey to us. He feels like he is the lion on the prowl. He is no longer the hunted. Doubt says we are the hunted, but faith says we are the overcomers. But there's a battle that's going on for our focus. There's a battle going on for what our posture will be. You see, fear wants to stifle the promise, even if it is lying right in front of us. It wants to push the promise down. It always wants to lead us to doubt because the voices of discouragement and negativity are always the loudest voices. You want to know the news that gets the best reviews? It's the bad news. It's when something terrible happens. The most sold newspapers are after a tragedy. Fear and bad news is, is the loudest voice that's, that's heard. And so there's this raging battle going on of what will your posture be? That of faith and what God has promised or that of fear of what lies before you. And so these voices of discouragement and negativity are so loud and these reports are easily passed on among the Israelites and they start to get passed along. Did you hear what it said about the spies passed a bad report? So this bad report is contagious and, and like a, a cold moving through the, the camp. It moves quickly and it says by nightfall... Their negative assessment of the danger had spread and this infection of fear had gotten to all the tribal leaders. And so take a look at what the 10 spies said at the end of chapter 13. We just read this. It said they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it and the people we saw there are of great size. We we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So they went from giving an accurate report that there's it's well fortified. There are large people that live there. Um, we know that the Philistines were big and all these things. But the truth and even the blessing can become distorted by fear. You see, they took the report that's accurate, that they had challenges lying ahead, and it was distorted by fear. First of all, they said the land devours those living in it. Are they saying that as they're carrying this huge pole with all these grapes on it and pomegranates and things that are growing there and milk and honey? Milk and honey represents that if there's milk, that means there's cattle, there's meat, right? And if there's honey, that means there's, there's things growing, there's pollination going on so you can grow crops. So these are signs of God's blessing in the land and, and, and all these things that are going on. And so they said, we saw the land in their first report, but as the negativity built up, what did they say? The land devours even the people living in it. They're saying it's inhospitable. No one can survive in this place. And this negative report starts to distort the promise. Um, Then they say there's people of great size. And we said, yes, there were giants in the land. They saw the Nephilim there, they said, though. And this was interesting. I actually had to do some research. I was like, the Nephilim, that sounds familiar. The Nephilim are first mentioned in Genesis chapter 6. And they were called warriors of great renown. They were terrifying. And as a matter of fact, they were possibly of supernatural origin. They're a, they're a, a, a terrifying creature. But, but the fact that it happens in Genesis 6 where it talks about them is problematic for what the spies report. Because Genesis 6 preludes the great flood. The great flood... As a matter of fact, the Nephilim are listed as one of the reasons for the great flood. The very next verse is where God sees all the evil going on in his world. So so the Nephilim are there. They're this evil group of giant creatures, apparently, that are terrifying. The great flood occurs, and the only survivors of the great flood are the animals that are on the ark and Noah and his direct family. No Nephilim. The Nephilim are gone. The Nephilim are extinct. 
They're not, they're not a thing, but, but this, 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 uh, this fear, these stories of lore made it into their reality because the fear overwhelmed what was go- really going on. The enemy was sowing all this fear. The, the land is inhospitable. It'll spit you out. It'll eat you up and spit you out. The people that live there are giant. They're supernatural in nature and they will destroy you. They'll smush you like a bug. And then they said this. They said, then they said, um, uh, they said, we are grasshoppers in our own eyes. They said, we're grasshoppers in our eyes. Did you notice the perception of what they faced and actually informed of how they viewed themselves then? They looked at what they were facing and it changed how they even viewed themselves. They said, look at us. We're so small. We're so insignificant. We can't do this. And so this narrative changes as they start to tell the story and continue this passing of this bad report. It goes from, from the land is, is going to be a challenge to take, but it, it's, it's flowing with milk and honey too. It's inhospitable and it wants to kill us. And the people there are large. No, they're supernatural in nature and they will destroy us. And, 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 and suddenly they go, and we ourselves are just grasshoppers. And how often do we look at ourselves and say, man, When fear takes over, we see ourselves in a different light. We say, I'm so weak. I'm so small. I'm so incapable. I don't have the education that I need. I don't have, I never finish what I start. I I, I destroy relationships. I'm this, I'm that. And suddenly when fear and the things that want to cloud our vision of what God has given us start to inform how we even view ourselves. We talk ourselves right out of the promise. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. They talked themselves right out of the promise. And they were worrying about all these things. And let me tell you, church, what we worry about the most reveals where we trust God the least. What do you worry about the most? What's on your mind when you wake up in the middle of the night or extra early in the morning or keeps you up or, or the things that you're constantly going over and you're rerunning numbers on something or doing whatever it might be. The place that causes us to fear and to obsess the most is the area where we trust God the least. And their trust in God waned and it crumbled. And so it says in Numbers 14.1 that that night all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. They wept aloud. It goes on to talk about the women were weeping because their husbands were going to go off and be slaughtered in war and that would leave their children fatherless. And there was this great mourning and wailing that rose up from the camp. And by morning, the men were ready to mutiny against Moses. They were ready to kill Moses and Aaron and select a different leader and head back to Egypt. That's kind of a recurring theme with them. And head back to Egypt. And this response that they have angers the Lord. So he says, that's it. None of you over the age of 20 are going to be able to enter the land I promised you. You'll wander in the wilderness for 40 years until everyone over 20 is either dead or gone. And so none of you will inherit the promise that are over age 20. And only Caleb and Joshua would get to enter the promised land. And the problem was that, that that timing wasn't next week. It wasn't next month or next year. Caleb and Joshua were faithful to the Lord. They, but they had to wait until this current generation of Israel died in the wilderness. Think about this. They're already 40 years old. Caleb's 40 years old. And they're going back into the wilderness for 40 years. So he's going to be tremendously old. And he's going to be tremendously older than the next oldest Israelite going into the land. Think about that. He's going to be decades older older than anyone else. He was 85 years old by the time he got to step into the promised land. But Caleb remained steadfast. He persevered through the process. Caleb persevered through the process. Can I tell you, Caleb could have thrown down his, his stuff and been like, you know what, forget it. I saw the promise. I'm out of here. 
I, I'm just going to go move somewhere, I don't know. I'm not going to wander in, in circles in the desert for four decades of my life, in the prime of my life, because you guys don't have it together. But rather, he persevered through the process. He had to wander this wilderness for no fault of his own, and he suffered the same hardships and trials as those that disobeyed God. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been faithful to the Lord, but you feel like you've inherited a curse, maybe, that someone who has chosen another way has gone. You've carried on something that maybe because of their sin, you've been affected. Can I tell you that sin affects the whole camp? The effects of sin affect the whole camp. I'm not saying that we are not free from sin if we're followers of Jesus, but the effects of sin affect the whole camp. And maybe you've been affected by someone's sin around you and you have suffered the consequence of that. But let me tell you, Caleb kept the faith. He kept his passion. Um, His passion never waned. He remained faithful and he remained patient for God's promise. And he was ready to go when the time came then. And that's something that's difficult in our day and age. We live in a world of instant gratification, don't we? And where that's glorified. Uh, I, I can't believe I have to watch a 30-second commercial before I watch my TV show on my streaming service. They're doing commercials now? 30 seconds? Come on! I sit in front of my microwave and watch the food cook as though that's going to help it go faster. Like, a two-minute TV dinner is, like, way too long. We live in a world of this instant gratification, but being patient and waiting for the Lord is difficult and discouraging at times, isn't it? Saying, God, you've given me a promise, but I'm in this waiting period. And for some of us, it's been longer than a month. It's been longer than a year. It's been longer than five years. It's been longer than a decade, but you are waiting on that promise. Let me tell you, God is faithful. Stay the course. Stay the course. Caleb stayed the course for four decades wandering in the desert. You see, Caleb has an interesting name. It's a common name today. I've known several people named Caleb. Um, but do you know what the word Caleb means, the name Caleb? It means dog. And that is not a compliment in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Dogs were not pets. Dogs were not beloved. They were mongrels. They sat under the table and ate scraps. They didn't, weren't kept around. They were just curs and scavengers. And so to be called a dog was an insult. Remember what Goliath told David? Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? There's, there's an insult to being called a dog. We don't know the, the background of Caleb's story with his parents, but apparently there was something there. Uh, being called a dog was not exactly uh, a kind thing, but Caleb redefined the meaning of that name. The reason we hear people called Caleb today is because now it's really taken on to mean wholehearted devotion. You think of the nature of a dog. They are devoted no matter what. My dog, I can be sitting and working at my desk and I'll go down to the kitchen and he'll be right by my side like something cool could happen at any moment. And then I'll go back to my desk. He's like, that was awesome. And he'll lay back down. And anytime I move around that house, he's ready to go with me because there's a faithfulness. Just says, wherever you go, I go. I'm ready to go. And so this defined Caleb's heart. Caleb was faithful to the Lord. He trusted his promises even when other people didn't. And even through years of waiting for the promise. And maybe you've had setbacks through no fault of your own. You've inherited circumstances that have been unfair and unjust. But do not allow circumstances in the passing of time to quell your zeal for the Lord. To quell what that that promise you know you're holding on to. Have a tenacious devotion to it. Have a stubborn resolve to say, the Lord gave me this. He promised this to me. I'm holding on to it. It doesn't matter how much time goes or passes. I'm holding on to the promise the Lord gave me. I will stay the course. I will persevere through the process. And when the time came, Caleb was positioned for the promise. 
You see, our position prepares us for the promise. It didn't catch him off guard when the time came to go into the promised land. This is a little dark, but I wonder if he was watching that last Israelite that needed to die before they could go into the promised land. Like, come on, come on, come on. I know that promise is over there. Waiting for it. He was positioned for the promise because as soon as it happened, Caleb was ready to go. Um, Joshua 14.10, it says this. So Caleb comes up to... Uh, to Joshua and he says, now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I'm 85 years old and I'm strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. He was ready to go. As soon as he knew that they could step into the promised land, he was right at Joshua's side saying, send me, let me go get it. Let me go take on what God has promised us. Um, Caleb was either the oldest or second oldest man in the whole country of Israel when he spoke these words, but he was positioned and he was ready to fight the battles that were his to fight. And did you see, did you notice when we read that, who the inhabitants were he chose to take on? The descendants of Anak. The very ones that caused the Israelites to tremble in their boots and say, we can't go in there, they're huge. He said, let me take them. Let me take them. The very giants of the land that were too great, too scary, too powerful. The very primary source of our fear. The ones that imputed the curse to us that made us wander in this desert. He says, I know who I want to take on. And I love how verse 12 is phrased in the King James Version. For those of you that are King James people, it says, give me that mountain. Give it to me. He doesn't say, can I go give it a good shot? Let me go see if I can kind of, you know, push him off. He says, give it to me. It's mine. Promise me that mountain. He didn't say, give me a shot. Can we try to take this area? He said, give it to me. It's already done. It's my promise. That's my mountain. That's mine. The promise is mine. And he was positioned and prepared to step into what God promised. And this is what it says in Joshua 14, 14. It says, Hebron, therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day because he, was whole, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. It became his inheritance. This morning as God made you a promise and you're ready to claim it as your inheritance, say, God, give me that mountain. Maybe you've been holding on to that promise for a long time. Maybe there's something that's held you back. Maybe it's been your own fear that's been imputed on you. Maybe it's uh, your, your own uh, fear has blown things out of proportion, made it impossible for you to do. You can't trust God with it because it just seems too big, too much, too insurmountable. Maybe it's changed your perception of who you are. I'm too small. I'm too incapable. I'm, I, I blow it all the time. I'm just a, a mess up. I can't do this, God. What's your posture? Whose report have you been listening to? Whose report do you believe? Have you been believing a doctor's report? Have you been believing a professor's report? A report from an economist? A report from a counselor? Whatever it might be. Whose report are you believing? Whose report are you listening to? Are you holding on to the promise? Maybe there's a promise you've heard, but you've been in the waiting season. You've been circling in the desert. Maybe it's 
a cause that's all your own. You've brought yourself to this desert place. Maybe it's you've inherited from something else. But you've been in a season of waiting for God's promises. Maybe there's been setbacks. What is God teaching you in this time in the desert? He won't let this go to waste. What has God been developing in your heart? What has he been developing in you in this time in the dry place? Maybe there's a perseverance that never existed before you're going to need for that next season. There's a maturity that's developed in you that you never had before that's going to prepare you for what lies ahead. Are you positioned for the promise? You might be saying, God, I want to take that mountain, but you have not been putting yourself in position to actually take the mountain. You've been holding back or you've been lazy and you've let it go and it's saying, Lord, right now, I want to receive that promise when it's time. Help me remain in position to receive that promise. So when the time comes, I can say, give me that mountain. So this morning, I want to pray with you, church, that we would be a people of increased faith, that when we come up upon challenges, when we come up upon things that seem bigger than we can take on, that we know where the promise lies. Or if we're in that waiting season, that we grow in our faith and our trust that God has this. Or when it's time to step out, we're in position to go and take the mountain. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. This morning, if you're in this room, and you are looking at the promise of God, but there's a lot of fear. There's a fear that's locked you up. And the things that are things that need to be overcome, there's no lie that there's things that need to be overcome, but they've become bigger than life. They've become stories that are so much bigger. And you're allowing that to hold you back from the promise God has given you. And you say, this morning, Pastor Brent, I want to have the faith that looks ahead and says, if that's what God promised, I am ready to go receive it. If that's you in this room, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you. Yes, yes. Hands across this room across this room. Father, right now, with those that have their hands raised that say, there is fear that is trying to change my position. The, the posture that I have has not been that of faith necessarily. It's the fear that's trying to pull me back from the promise that I've been given. And this morning, I lean into you. I trust you, God. Teach me to trust you that though there may be obstacles, though there may be things to overcome, if it has been promised, it is mine. And this morning, I step into that faith, believing that you have prepared the way and that you go before me. What can stand before me if you have said it is so? And this morning, God, I pray for a righteous faith to rise up in those that have felt fear, in those that have felt trepidation, in those that have had a small view of themselves that the enemy keeps trying to remind them of the times of failure, the times where they weren't good enough, the times they didn't have what it takes. Lord, I pray for a godly view of ourselves of how we've been created as overcomers, more than conquerors, through Christ Jesus. And right now, I pray for the faith to step out and walk across the Jordan. This morning, if you're in this room and you've been in a time of waiting, God has put something on your heart. Maybe it's that there is a loved one that is not following Jesus and you've been praying for them for a long time. Maybe it's a relationship that's been broken for a long time. Maybe you've been crushed in your spirit 
and in a dry desert place in your soul for a long time. And you say, I need to keep the faith. I need that tenaciousness that Caleb had that was just steadfastly faithful to the Lord, that kept the zeal for the moment that it was time to to claim that promise. I need to be reminded of that today. If that's you in this room right now, will you raise your hand with me? I want to pray with you. Yes. More hands. Lord, I pray for those that for some, they're standing in the gap for the promise of salvation for ones they love. I pray for those that are standing in the gap for things that they they know they've been in a waiting season. They feel dry in their soul. Their spirit feels like, "Uh, God, where are you? Maybe they feel like you've been far away. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of your presence, that you are never far, that even when we can't feel you, you have never left. And Jesus, I pray that you would teach us the tenacity, teach us the lessons in the desert time as we wait on you. Lord, as we prepare in this desert place, I pray it would prepare us for the next season that lies ahead and that we would never give up the faith. And finally, church, if you're here this morning and you say, I need to be positioned ready for when the Lord says, it's time to take this mountain. There's been a promise and I need to remind myself to be ready to reach out and seize that opportunity when it comes. Not to let it go by, but to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm ready to step out. If that's you, church, raise your hand. I want to pray for you finally. Right now, Lord, for those that have raised their hands across this room. To say, Lord, I need to be in position for when that promise is to be fulfilled. I don't want to be caught sleeping or off guard, but I want to be ready to engage with the promise that you have given me. To take the mountain, to take the victory that you have prepared in advance. That you are doing the fighting for me, but I have the victory in your name. So teach me to be prepared for that moment in season and out of season, Lord. Father, I pray that there would be tremendous stories, more testimonies of your saving grace, more testimonies of your provision, more testimonies of you calling people to greater things, to ministry, to things beyond themselves that they never saw or knew they could be before. And we thank you for it, Jesus, in your mighty and powerful and awesome name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. This morning, church, we will do these connection cards together as we respond. Here's what I ask you to do. Go to nlcchurch.com slash connect or the Sunday links. You'll find the link there. Let's all fill out a connection card. It means so much to us that you let us know you were here so we can just know that you were with us. But I want you to answer a question for me on that. Is there a situation in which you feel you are waiting on the promise? And what is that? We want to pray with you towards that. Is there a promise God has put in your heart? You say, I am maybe in a waiting season. Maybe it's a time for me to step out in faith and I need to be uh, just built up in courage as I step out towards that promise God has given me. Put that on your connection card. Let's take a few moments, fill that out. If this is your first time, let us know you're here. If there's anything we can be praying with you about. We've also got paper connection cards in the seat backs in front of you. You can fill that out. And on your way out, our ushers will have the buckets in the back and you can just drop it in the bucket on your way out this morning, all right? So let's take just a moment and fill those out together. that up we have an announcement that we need to give this morning a little over a year and a half ago when I stepped on as lead pastor here 
Um, I think it was the very same week that was my first week formally as your lead pastor, Pastor Ty joined our staff, and he has been an absolute uh, paraclete to me. He has been a helper and um, just a wonderful staff member and friend um, these last 18 months. Uh, But Pastor Ty, Rachel, would you join us up here? And yes, you can bring my favorite Thea. Hi, Thea. It's Pastor Brad. We saw each other yesterday and she flirted with me a lot. Well, due to uh, a few factors, um, there's been some family health things that have gone on with with their family and also just an opportunity that opened up. Uh, Pastor Ty and Rachel have responded to a call and they're headed up to northern Washington, the great north, um, and uh, going to be serving in a church there. And so next Sunday is going to be their final week with us. And so um, we we are going to miss them so deeply. They have been... Uh, such a such an important part of our transition as a church body, um, and so we are we are going to miss them, but we are sending them away with all of the blessing that we can. We we have appreciated you both so dearly, and um, so this morning I want to pray over them, um, and then next week we will have a celebration. We'll have cookies, and and we'll be able to get lots of pictures and make sure we connect with them. But uh, we want to send them away well. So can we pray over Pastor Ty and Rachel as they prepare to go? Let's extend our hands towards this this couple church. Jesus, we thank you so much for this wonderful couple that you brought our way. Lord, I thank you for the the ministry that Ty has had and been, how flexible he's been to pick up anything that needs to be done, whether it's leading worship, leading life groups. Uh, He'll jump into anything that needs to be done. And God, I thank you for his heart, for your your church, and for the connections he's made with countless people across our congregation. For what you've done in their family, growing their this, this family, and what, uh, what what you continue to do. So, Lord, I pray for this next season of their life as they step into this new thing. I pray for their family, Lord. I pray that your hand would be upon them, as as I, I pray for your healing touch in profound ways. I pray for 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 a complete restoration in every way, Lord. And I pray for this next season of ministry that Ty would find more opportunity than he ever ever has before. That he would find himself being stretched and grown in new ways that he never has experienced before. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, church, I do ask you one thing as we go this morning. Thank you, guys. Um... As you go this morning, we have a second service that's going to be joining us. Just be thoughtful in how we, we go out because I don't want that this news, because I'm, I'm sure news will be shared and talked about right now, but to affect uh, what, as people come in what they could encounter and hear from God in the next service. Do you hear what I mean? They'll hear the news after the end of second service. So show Ty and Rachel your love and things, but let's make sure that we're not distracting from what God wants to do in the next service. And then next week, we can talk about it all we want and we can do all those things, but we want to make sure that we uh, give the next service an opportunity without that in the back of their minds to, to really engage with what God is doing, all right? Can we stand together? I want to pray a blessing over you, church, before we go. Jesus, I thank you for this body. For the body of Christ that has come here, gathered to get together in faithfulness, faithfully meeting together, encouraging one another, edifying one another, worshiping together side by side, saying, Jesus, we lift your name, we glorify you. And so this morning as we go, I pray, Father, that we would be people marked by faith, that we would be Caleb people, that even in the times where we're going through the desert, even in the times where fear would want to take our vision, we would hold on to truth and the promise of God. 
And that, Father, we would be ready to step out into the promise you have given us when that time comes. The battles that are ready to be fought, we will be ready to fight the right battles that are ours. And that we would trust you with the victory each and every day. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. New Life Church, God bless you. We will see you on Wednesday. Make sure you're here next, this coming Wednesday.